0: So we get to Romans chapter number 12 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up at Romans chapter number 12. And I'm really excited about what we're moving into now. In fact, I'm gonna start a little sub-series, which is what Paul moves into in the subsequent chapters in the book of Romans, where he talks about the marks of a changed life. What happens once you understand what Jesus has done for you on the cross? How does your life actually change? Because faith and how it impacts you looks like something. It looks like something. If you still look the same way that you did before you had your faith in Jesus, then you may need to evaluate how much of your faith is really in Jesus. Because when we look at Him, when we behold Him, when we believe in Him, when we connect with Him, it impacts our lives in a tangible way. You look different. And it's not necessarily all of a sudden that everything in your life changes. There is often a journey, and we believe in a journey here. We always say it doesn't matter where you're at in your journey. You can come as you are. We believe Jesus meets us where we're at, but then he doesn't leave us where we're at, right? Jesus takes us on a journey forward closer to who he's created us to be as he sanctifies us and changes us and does miraculous things in our lives. This is the great news that if you're frustrated with yourself today, don't worry because tomorrow you're going to be a little bit better right? And it's not going to be because you decided to be better. This is not self-help. It's going to be because Jesus is in your life, and He is powerful, powerful to change. He's committed to transforming us from the inside out, Isn't that good news this morning that you don't need to change from the outside in? You don't need to go and and, and read self-help books and, and try and do things to change yourself. All that you need to do is from the inside put your faith in Jesus and listen to the voice of His Holy Spirit. And as we do that, we are transformed into His image. So all of us are on a journey of being changed. All of us are on a journey, and there are certain marks that you will see in a person's life, that you will be able to identify when you go, I can see that this person has changed. I see it all the time. I have this great privilege as a pastor to see people's lives change, to watch their journey unfold. There's nothing greater, and I count it the greatest privilege of my life is to actually see people come in, be discontent, be disillusioned, um, be frustrated, be, be broken, and I get to see people, I get to see their eyes light up again as they begin to discover the hope of Jesus, as they begin to understand what God has done for them, as they begin to understand that their sufficiency is not in their selves, but it's by the grace of God that we get to be in relationship with Him. And, and I get to see people migrate from sitting in the back row, no judgment if you're in the back row today, but I get to see those people migrate forwards as they become more and more intent and involved and connected to the heart of God. That's what we get to see as a church. Isn't it, wouldn't it be an incredible thing for you to bring the people that you love? Just think about the people that you love today. Maybe you have a family member that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you have a friend that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you have somebody that you know in your life that is facing a broken situation, that is facing despair, that is disconnected from the purpose that God has for their, for their lives. Imagine how incredible it would be to see them coming to church and migrating forwards in the plan that God has for them. We get to do that, church. We get to be those people that bring our friends and bring our family members and see their lives changed. And that is why our church exists. It's why we're here on a Sunday morning. We're not here to be religious or just to do religious things. We're here to see lives changed. And we all get to see those people that we love change in that way. And, and it really, when you recognize what Jesus has done for you, it really produces so much gratitude in our hearts. I want to share a message with you this morning called Living a Changed Life, the first part of this series on the marks of a changed life, living a changed life. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to focus on the first two verses in Romans, which we'll look at in a moment. But but I want to focus on on the first two verses in in Romans 12, um, because these two verses lay the foundation for all the subsequent chapters where Paul literally tells us what it looks like to be a Christian. What does it look like to be a Christian? What are the marks of a changed life? And uh, this is the the sub-series in Romans that we're going to go into over the next couple of weeks. And uh, I was reading it, and I was like, oh, man, I'm going to preach this for two years because there's so many good things in there um, that that Paul describes. But the kind of life that you and I get to live because we're no longer slaves to sin, because we've been redeemed by Jesus, because we've been called— And because we've been saved not only from a past, but to a great future. How many of you know that? That you've not only been saved from all the bad stuff that you did, but to many great and incredible things. The best is yet to come for all of us because that is what God has for us. So it's amazing, and I'm sure you've, you've seen this before, but it's amazing how gratitude, being grateful, can change the way that you live. It's amazing how simply recognizing what you have can change the way that you live. When somebody is truly grateful, you can see grateful people coming from a mile away. When somebody is truly grateful, their attitude, their service, their love, everything about them is more authentic. When people are grateful to be in a certain position or to be in a certain place or to be in a certain family, you can see the difference compared to a person that is complacent or entitled or, or, or disconnected, right? You can see them even in church. You can see people that are just so grateful because they understand what they have and what's been done for them compared to a place that I think all of us get to at, at certain times in our lives and that we need to guard against with all of our strength is that place of complacency and entitlement. Yes, I'm saved, but you know, what does it really mean for my life right now? It means that you've probably just little, lost a little bit of sight of how much you've been saved and how great it is what Jesus has done for you. It's only when you realize what you truly have that you begin to appreciate it, that you begin to handle it with care. I remember when we started the church, uh, we were in a restaurant. So we were upstairs in a restaurant and, and uh, it was the only space we could find in all of Joburg um, in these northern suburbs. We went everywhere looking for venues when we started. I spent months hundreds of rands worth of petrol driving around looking for a venue where we could just have church. we ended up having church upstairs in a restaurant. Some of you were there when we were at Design Quarter. And uh, we needed equipment, these chairs and and our sound equipment and all those things. And we needed to move that equipment because there was no way for us to store it. And so we had to buy a trailer. And so now we didn't have a lot of money. We were just starting out as a church and we're looking for a trailer online. And we found one guy who had this trailer that was big enough for us. He was selling it at a great price. And it was at a karting track because they were actually using it to move go-karts. And so um, we drove through on a Saturday um, to Swartkop's Raceway um, and met this guy where he was doing his go-karting and everything. And, and we were going to go and look at this trailer um, to buy this trailer. And, and um, when we got there, the biggest thunderstorm Joburg has ever seen um, hit us, right? So it hit us, and it was just, it was so bad, you couldn't even stand under a shade net. Um, we, 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 we had to find garages to hide in, like everybody at the raceway, it was packed there that day. Everybody was standing in garages, and so we managed to, uh, in between the, the most severe parts of the storm, make our way to the karting track. Uh, my dad was with me, we were going to go look at this trailer, and, uh, and then another just bout of severe weather just hit us as we were there, and it was so bad that we couldn't just stand under covering. We had to go into the garage and then close the garage to prevent, uh, you know, all the wind and the rain coming in to where we were. So here we are on a Saturday, um, locked in a garage uh, with a bunch of karting people at a racetrack, which which was an interesting experience, right? And so obviously when you're locked in a garage with strange people, um, you have conversations. And so we started, we started chatting to the guy who owned the trailer and was, uh, you know, a part of that, that uh, team at that racetrack. And, uh, and so we started chatting to him and uh, asked about our family, and I told him about the three boys that I have. And at one point I mentioned, I think we spoke about raising boys and what it was like, and at one point I mentioned that they, they can be really noisy and they can be really loud and, and all the rest. And he turned around. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget this, because he turned around and he looked at me, and he says, you appreciate every sound they make. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, he was just, we got super serious all of a sudden. He's like, you appreciate every little sound those kids make. And he told me about his granddaughter, who had accidentally swallowed a battery, uh, one of those button cell batteries. And you know, those batteries um, really burn your insides once they go inside. And this little girl, his little granddaughter swallowed one of those button cells and it burnt her voice box. So now she can no longer speak. She can no longer make sounds. He's like, you, you think it's, it's a nuisance when your boys are making a noise, but he looked at me and he said, you appreciate every single little sound that those kids make, although sometimes, I'll be honest, it's a challenge to appreciate it, but you, you appreciate it because if they weren't making a sound, you would miss it. And all of a sudden I realized it's because he had lost the, 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 the privilege of hearing the sound of his granddaughter's voice, that he valued it so much higher. And I realized that when you're grateful, you'll value things more. When you understand what you actually have, the privilege that you have, you will be so much more grateful and it'll change the way that you live. And I think it's amazing how quickly we as Christians can become ungrateful. Ungrateful for the salvation that we have ungrateful for the lives that we get to live, just completely complacent and discontent. And I'm speaking to Christians this morning. If you're still deciding to be a Christian, I hope that you'll become one and be better than what I'm gonna describe right now. But Christians (laughs) can be the worst, right? We can be the worst in terms of our ungratefulness and our negativity and our poor speech and our lack of faith. We can be so discontent and complacent and distracted at times. People can become so negative, and it's, it, it, it's more than, I believe, just a poor attitude. I believe that it's actually, literally, a strategy from the enemy. It's a strategy from the devil. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6 that we must not be ignorant or unaware of Satan's schemes or strategies. Just think about that for a moment. You know how if you have a company, you'll have a strategy meeting. We have a strat team, and we often meet, and we strategize how we're going to take the church forward. Now, think about this. The enemy sits down. Maybe he has a piece of paper. I don't know. Maybe he has a pencil, an evil pencil, and he sits down, and he comes up with a plan, and that plan is to keep all of us from doing what we're supposed to be doing, That plan is to discredit discredit us in as much as He can and disqualify us in as far as He can from doing what God has called us to do. Do not think that when you start out a church and you're saying, we're a young church and we're passionate and we have a vision from God and we've experienced the call and there is a city out here that needs to be saved and we're going to save that city, don't think that the devil sits back and goes, oh well. He sits down with his piece of paper and his evil pencil, and he begins to write a strategy of how he will do his best to destroy this. That's why Jesus says, I will build my church, and he knows that the devil's going to come against it, so he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will keep you safe. But that's not because the enemy isn't doing anything. We've got to recognize that he has schemes against us. And you know what? It's so subtle because we think we're just expressing our opinions, but so often we're being influenced to be negative or to have a negative attitude or a negative heart, and the devil will bring attack after attack after attack against us to try and divide this body, to try and distract us from what we really are called to do. That's how he works. And so it pains me when I hear Christians being distracted, focused on the wrong things and being divided over silly issues because I know that it's simply a result of losing sight of what we have the privilege of being able to be a part of. Every single one of us this morning could have been somewhere else. You could have been somewhere else. You could be waking up this morning. And feeling absolutely condemned and broken about how you gave yourself away last night and how you gave yourself over to things hoping they'll fulfill you only to wake up feeling more empty. You could be serving yourself this morning. You could be broken. You could be disillusioned. You could have no hope. But instead, you're in here because you know the love that God has for you and you're experiencing His call and His movement in your life and you get to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You get to live with purpose. You get to live with meaning. You get to live with vision. You get to live with hope. Are we grateful for those things this morning? Are we grateful for those things? Because when you're grateful, it'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you respond. We don't want to be fickle and and deceived. We want to be a people of faith, a people of hope, a people of gratitude. Don't let the devil distract you from what really matters. We have a city that God has placed us in that is full of people that will die without knowing the love of God, without receiving His grace in their lives. A city full of people that are desperate and desolate. And then we, so often, Christians come into church on a Sunday and we, our greatest concern should be, how can I be more equipped and more inspired to answer the call of God to reach souls and to, and to, and to see people saved? Instead, we come into church, and our greatest concerns are whether or not we're enjoying the song selection today. Oh, I don't like it when they sing that song. I prefer that other song. Or the way that the announcements are done, or the way the pastor dresses himself. <laughs> I really don't think he should be wearing a t-shirt. It's just not respectful enough to be wearing a t-shirt. But then I put on a nice jacket and they're like, how much money is this pastor making, right? Like, where do you buy that jacket from? It's more than a poor attitude. It's a strategy from the devil. We all sit here being focused on the wrong things. People are dying and we're worrying about how the pastor dresses. Right? Right? God has more for us, church. He has more for us. While we're distracted, the devil's loving it. We forget that we are the living body of Christ and that we're on a mission to see souls saved, to see lives healed, and to see leaders raised, to see churches planted, to see a city changed, to see the kingdom expand. That's what we're on a mission to see, And instead, we we focus on all these silly things. Now, let me just qualify all of that by saying that we're passionate about excellence here at Anchor Church. I think you can see it. We, we don't always achieve it, but we're always striving for it because we believe it honors God and it inspires man. And so we will always do everything with excellence. We want the coffee to, to, to taste good and we want the music to, to sound great and we're always working on what we do because we're passionate about it. However, our focus isn't just creating a happy group of consumers. Our focus is developing a passionate Group of disciples, a passionate people that are willing to go out and to reach a city. Amen? Amen. Come on, I don't say, I don't ask for the amen often, but today I'm going to ask for it, right? So, what will keep us from this kind of complacency? What's going to keep us humble? What's going to keep us engaged? What's going to keep us from becoming ungrateful? I believe that it's by remembering the gospel, by remembering, as Jesus says in the book of Revelations, the height from which we had fallen, from remembering the, 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 the sinfulness that, that we had and how purposeless and meaningless our lives were before without direction and hurt and, or, 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 or healing, and, and instead how God has reached into our lives and transformed us. Sometimes we just need to stop and look back again because we can become so negative, but just look at how far God has brought you. Just look at how your life has changed in the time that you have known Him. If we realize every single day, if we preach the gospel to ourselves and realize not just that we're saved, but how much we're saved, just become grateful for His grace in your life that you're not somewhere else. But that you're here, that you're not a slave to sin without hope, but instead that you get to know God and experience His grace and love and be a part of His plans uh, for this city and for His kingdom. When you have that gratefulness, when you remember, wow, I'm so grateful to be saved. I'm so grateful that my life has been redeemed. It'll change the way that you serve God. It'll keep you from complacency. You'll realize that all of this that we're doing is not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. Honoring God with our lives and with our bodies and with our, with our mouths and with everything that we do is not something that we have to do. It's something that we now get to do because of His grace that we couldn't have done before. And so we need to Remind ourselves of our redemption. The more grateful you are for your salvation, the more committed you will be to serving. The more grateful you are for your salvation, the more committed you'll be to your serving. We see this um, with Peter's mother-in-law. There's this time when Peter's mother-in-law has a fever, and we read it in Luke 4.38, and I'm gonna get to Romans 12. Uh, you can just stay where you are in your Bibles. We're gonna get there now. I'm only doing those two verses, so, um, so we'll get there. But uh, Luke 4.38, it says, now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him, to Jesus, on her behalf, which is like a prayer. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And listen to this. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Immediately she got up and began to serve them. Now, I can imagine, you know, if, if, if I was sick and I was lying there and I had a high fever... And, uh, and, and I got touched and I got healed, I'd be like, wow, that was hectic. I just had like a high fever and I've been in bed all day or for a couple of days and right now I just want to maybe chill, maybe have something to drink, maybe just, I don't know, watch a movie. I mean, I wasn't feeling well a couple minutes ago. You know, that's kind of how we think about it. But what happens here is the moment God's power and presence touches her life, the moment the healing comes over her life, what does she do? It says immediately she gets up and she serves. I don't think they said to her, listen, now that you're healed, can you make us some food? You know, like, I didn't think there was a request like that. I think that she got up and out of gratitude simply decided to serve. That's why you can see when people are grateful. Immediately we were like, you did this for me, Jesus. I want to serve you. I want to be a part of, of this thing. I want to I do everything that I can. And so this is essentially what Paul is saying as he moves into these final chapters of the book of Romans, especially chapters 12 to 15, um, it goes up to 16. So, in those, in, in these these next four or five chapters, um, we see Paul essentially saying this: that gratitude and 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 being grateful for what God has done changes the way that we live and the way that we serve. He's made it very clear in the first 11 chapters of Romans, and here's a quick recap for you in case. You weren't here for those weeks. But what Paul makes very clear in the first 11 chapters of Romans is that number one, we are all sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserve to be saved or be a part of God's plan. And that we have no hope in being saved in our own goodness or by an observance to the law. He, he crushes that whole idea several times over. He's like, you are not going to be right with God because you're a good person or because you're trying very hard to be a good person. And you're not going to be right with God because you're adhering to the law or a set of religious rules. That's, you're not good enough to do that. It's only by our faith in the grace of God through Jesus that we get to be redeemed and be made right with God. And God's hope as he goes into uh, chapters nineteen 10, and 11 is that all people will recognize this, that all people will understand that they are guilty before God, that they have been disobedient, but that Israel and the rest of the world will be able to receive, to recognize and receive God's grace and be saved. And so it's because of the kindness of God and the, and the forbearance of God that we all get to be saved. And so Paul describes that. That was a really quick summary of 11 chapters, but he describes all of that And then after expressing God's plan in revealing our need for grace and then how God makes it available to us as a free gift, he ends chapter 11, and we looked at this uh, not last week but the week before, the last time we were together on this topic. He ends by breaking out into spontaneous worship. It's just like, it's so incredible. This is the gratitude coming through. Worship is essentially an expression or a response to what God has done. It's an expression of being truly grateful. True worship is true gratefulness. Look at this. All of us, all of us are unworthy of being saved. But God, by His grace and His kindness and His love, has extended His grace to all of us. And then He just begins to worship. When you recognize that you're unworthy, but you're loved, that you're guilty, but you're forgiven, there's something that comes up on the inside that's true gratitude, and true gratefulness. And so he ends by bursting out into spontaneous worship. How good is God? How amazing is it that God has saved us because of His goodness and His kindness? It's no wonder that Paul served God so passionately because he recognized this. He says in many places in Scripture, he says, I know my own weaknesses and I'll boast in them. I'll tell you how bad I am because when I am weak, I know that God is strong. He says, I am the chief of sinners. You think you're a sinner? I'm the chief of sinners. He goes further and and, and he says that that, um, he's not worthy of being called an apostle. Because formerly he persecuted the church of God. But then he says this, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, there was true understanding from Paul that he wasn't worthy. But he recognized God's grace and became so grateful for it. So as we move into these these latter chapters of Romans, this is how we get to live when we are in love with Jesus and grateful for His grace. That is what will change your life, when you're in love with Jesus and grateful for His His grace, for His sacrifice. These are the marks of a changed life. So let's get to Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. We're just going to read these two verses, and I'm just going to show you what I believe they say to us this morning. Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, or said in another way, uh, what is the good an acceptable and perfect will of God, that you may discern what the will of God truly is. So let me break this down for you a little because I believe this forms the foundation of all the subsequent chapters in Romans from this point onwards. And there's a few things that are pivotal to our understanding of Christian living and how we get to live these changed lives, all right? So here we go. First of all, I'm gonna gonna break this down. Let's just go to that next slide. I'm gonna highlight a little bit for you and then you can see. He says, I appeal to you. I love that Paul is standing and now he's talking to the church and he's like, he's just described everything that God has done for us and how we're saved by grace and how we have these new lives. And he's just worshipped God. He's just saying, thank you, God, for what you've done for us. And he goes, okay, church, do you see what God has done for you? Do you understand that you're saved? Do you understand that you're redeemed? Do you understand that you're a new person? Therefore, I appeal to you. I urge you. I beg you to live in a new way. There's a strong, passionate cry coming from Paul as he says to us as a church, he goes, Church, come on. Let's be the people that God has called us to be. Let's live the changed lives that we get to live. He says, I appeal, appeal to you, brothers and sisters. So important. He throws in there, he says, Therefore, I appeal to you, therefore. That therefore is very important. I appeal to you, therefore, because of what God has done, because of His grace, because of how you're saved. You see how what God asks us to do and what we're called to do as a church doesn't come out of the blue. It doesn't say, okay, well, I just want you to live this way. It says, I want you to live this way because there's a therefore. In other words, our Christian living is based on something. Our ability to serve God is based on something. It grows out of something out of this understanding of Christ and the cross and the gospel and grace, we get to live in a certain way and it's like a, continuous, a continuation of the worship that he started in chapter 11. He's like, God is so amazing and we worship him and who can know his ways and uh, who can be his counselor? He has saved us, therefore, let's live this way. In other words, what Paul is saying is we don't just worship with our songs on a Sunday, but we worship with our lives on a Monday. All of this is a continuation of the worship song that he started in chapter 11. I appeal to you, therefore, keep worshiping God, not just in church, but through the way that you live. We magnify him through our lives on a Monday. He says, by the mercies of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. And in this, I believe he's saying two important things to us. Number one, we can never hope to be faithful, or to live a changed life except by the grace and the mercy of God, except by the change that God brings about on the inside of us, that it's our gratitude that leads to service. But secondly, this word in the Greek, actually by the mercies of God, talks about the compassion of God, talks about the love of the Father. He says, it's like, it's like somebody's literally saying, for the love of God. <laughs> for the love of God. In other words, what God calls us to, He calls us to because He loves us. When God calls you to to give, or to sacrifice, or to serve, even those are things that offend our flesh, He calls you to them because they're good for you, because they're going to bless you, because He loves you, because He wants more for you. You see, God really isn't trying to get something from you as much as He's trying to get something to you. That's, that's, That's His heart. So I appeal to you, by the mercies of God, these things are good for us. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is a picture of the Old Testament, how the, the, the living sacrifices, how the sacrifices the lambs would be brought before God. They would be presented before God as spotless and without blemish, and once they had been inspected, they would, uh, would be, and this was just a, 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 a prophetic image of what Jesus would do for us as the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as those lambs were presented, but God says now we've already been uh, crucified in Christ, so we're not dying for our salvation, we're living with salvation. We're not fighting for victory anymore. We're we're living and fighting from victory. We're living in the victory. We're not attaining righteousness. We're being trained in righteousness. Does it make sense? So present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now I want to tell you this morning that your body matters. Just turn to the person next to you real quick and just say, Your body matters. Try not to look at it because then it would be awkward. Okay. (laughs) Your body matters. Not the way, it matters not in the way that the media tells us. But what you do with your body matters. We focus so much on being muscular bodies that we forget to be merciful bodies. That it's not all about how we dress and how we look on the outside, but it's about how much have we comforted those that are hurting. How much have we used our bodies to serve others? and to serve God, and to honor God. So what you do with your body matters, because with your body, you get to honor God. You get to be present with people. You get to be an extension of God's love. You get to be a model, but a model of mercy. With your arms, you get to embrace the hurting. With your hands, you get to serve the poor. With our tongues, we get to speak life. We get to build people up. We get to pray for people instead of speaking negatively about the things that we always speak negatively about. So Romans 6 says, honor God with your body. And Romans 12 here tells us that we must present our bodies as living sacrifices no longer as an instrument of unrighteousness, but as an instrument, a vehicle, a tool of righteousness. We get to use our bodies to serve Jesus. This morning there was a team of people that used their arms and their legs and their backs to stack these chairs out so that we could all sit here and listen to the word of God. That's honoring God. We get to make decisions about what we will do with our bodies and with our lives. And these sacrifices are holy and acceptable to God. In the past, nothing we did, no matter how faithful we felt it was, could be accepted by God because we were unrighteous. The same way that if a lamb was brought before God in the Old Testament that had a blemish on it, it couldn't be accepted as a sacrifice. But because we have been cleansed, because we have been made holy, because we have been made acceptable to God through our faith in Jesus, all of us get to live, and every sacrifice that we live out is accepted by God as holy. Isn't that incredible to know that your sacrifice is accepted by God? It's accepted by God. Which is, he says, your spiritual worship. Another translation says your reasonable Rational service. (laughs) It's just a reasonable thing that when you are saved, when you are grateful for what has happened, that you will want to live in this way. And this is how we worship. You see, he says it in, in chapter 11. He begins to worship by saying all these amazing things, but he goes, but now we get to live as worship. Your life becomes a life of worship. God wants every action and every word and all the things, not that we live perfect lives, but he wants us to live orientated, by gratefulness and by grace towards honoring and glorifying Him. That's the kind of life that we get to live now as we value our righteousness, as we present our lives and bodies in a way that honors God and serves others. This is a mark of a changed life, is that you will desire, even if you don't always get it right, to live in a way that honors God that values what you have in him. This is what happens when you understand what Jesus has done for you. Then he goes on in, those, in that next verse. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I want you just to see this this morning, is that in order to know what God's good and acceptable and perfect will is, you need to change the way that you think. Your mind has to be renewed. You won't be able to discern God's will if you're still thinking like the old person and still living according to your old identity. You will be ruled by your flesh. Like Paul writes at one point and he says, their belly is their God. Whatever they, whatever they hunger for, that's what they do and serve. And that's how many people live in this world. Just whatever feels good, whatever, whatever serves me, whatever makes me feel more satisfied, even though it's an empty feeling that I get afterwards, I'm going to pursue that because I'm being led by the flesh. But what happens when you change your mind about who you are and, and your value and what God has done for you is that you begin to live in a way that is able to discern the will of God for your life. You're able to understand and live in wisdom. So we need to change the way that we think. This comes back to what I said in the beginning. If you're living in your own strength, you're going to be complacent in your faith. You're going to be focused on yourself rather than fixed on Jesus, and you won't be able to discern God's will for your life. You'll just be led by the nose. And you'll miss out on so much because all that will happen is that your life will conform to the world. It'll just look like every other life. It'll just look like every other person out there who's trying to get rich and trying to get ahead and trying to make themselves feel good. You'll just look like one of those. Unless you change the way you think about your own self. Unless you recognize how much you've been saved. And that culture, the culture and the pattern of this world, as he says, if you don't want to conform to the pattern of this world, this world has a pattern. And that pattern is powerful. Culture is powerful. We get swept up in it. If you've ever been moved into a new culture and there were things that you never valued before, but when you move into that culture, all of a sudden, because everybody else values it, you begin to value it. Right? So if everybody in this place today was wearing white shoes right? Some of us are. But if everybody in this place is wearing white shoes, and it was such a thing, such a culture, we, all, we love white shoes, and you came in here with black shoes, you'd very quickly think to yourself, hey, I should get myself some white shoes. It seems to be like, it's a cool thing to do, right? I remember when I moved to the West Rand, I was, I was raised here in the northern suburbs. I'm essentially in my hometown right now, and I, I, but for a while I moved to the West Rand. I know it's still Joburg, but it feels very different out there, People from the West Rand, we love you, and we're grateful that you're here. But I remember when I moved out there, I never, ever had a desire to ride a motorbike. I wasn't raised, my, my, my dad didn't ride motorbikes, I didn't love motorbikes, uh, I wasn't one of those petrol head kind of guys, I was like, it looks a little dangerous, I mean, I don't know if I want to be doing jumps and stuff, and so I went out to the West Rand, and all of a sudden, this group of friends that we had at U, all of them were like riding motorbikes, and they were going onto the mine dumps and riding up, and I was like, and all of a sudden, their values and their culture began to affect me, and before long, I bought myself a two-stroke, 250 SX motorbike, KTM motorbike, and I was riding on the mine dumps, praying that I wouldn't die. I even did jumps. I went to motocross tracks, and I was like, I just, while I'm doing, I'm like, this is not me. This is not me. I don't know why I'm doing. I felt the like tension of I don't know why I'm on this bike right now, risking my life. I'm not from the West Rand, you know. Like, <laughs> but that's what the world does. It begins to dictate your values to you, unless you change the way you think, unless you begin to understand. Wait a minute. I'm from Santon. I don't ride bikes, right? (laughs) You know what I'm saying. You've got to understand that you're from heaven, that your real life is hidden with Christ in God, that you belong to Jesus, that you are a child of God, that you are redeemed, that you are blood-bought, that you are called for more. And when you understand that, you will no longer give yourself to the culture of this world. You'll live A different life just to clarify this morning we love everybody that rides motorbikes (laughs) and I still think it's very cool I think you're way braver than me and um, we hope that you'll remain a part of anchor church okay Um, so to not be conformed to not be conformed you need to be transformed it's not static it's not motionless It's not stagnant. In order to not conform, you must be transformed. There's an ongoing transformation that must take place where you renew your mind, remind yourself of the fact that you are the righteousness of God, that you are a new creation, that you're not the old person, that your identity has been changed. And when you see that, your temptations will fall away and you will be transformed into the person that God has called you to be. You'll remember where you are from if you're going to change the way you live, if you're going to change, live a changed life, you need to remember who you are and whose you are, right? That's what we need to remember. Do You want to live a changed life. Paul's saying, God has saved you. Recognize what he has done for you and live a changed life on the basis of that. How do we get to transform our minds? My last scripture this morning, 2 Corinthians 3.18, I love this verse. I absolutely love this verse. It's, uh, 18 and 19. It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, in other words, looking at Jesus, as we look at Him, as we behold Him, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, we are transformed we are changed. If you want more change to happen in your life, don't look at yourself and try and change yourself. Look at Jesus and be changed by Jesus. As we behold Him, we are transformed into that same image by the Holy Spirit. That's what we do here on a Sunday. We behold Him. When we wake up on a Monday, we behold Him. When Tuesday rolls around, we behold Him. On a Wednesday, we behold Him. On a Thursday, we behold Him. Every day, we look into the image of Christ. We understand our righteousness. We remember what He has done. We remind ourselves of our, of our identity. And what happens is, as we do that, the Holy Spirit works on the inside of us. And before long, we look in the mirror and we realize that we have been changed. That's how God works. That's how we resist conforming in order to be transformed or how we are transformed in order to resist conforming. So this sets up everything that we will read about in the following verses in Romans as we discover the marks of a changed life and what true Christian living looks like. And so that's what we're gonna go into. We're gonna get into some specifics about what does it mean for the church? What does it mean for how you relate to the government? What does that mean to how you, how you serve people and how you, how you love people? What does it mean for, for the temptations that you face? We're gonna look at what Paul says. He says, now that you've been changed, that you're grateful for his grace, these are the marks of a changed life. And that's this series that we will cover in the the subsequent weeks that that lie ahead. So come on, are you all excited for that? I hope that you are. It's going to be really awesome. Um, But this morning, let's go ahead and, and pray together.